Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. You can open your Bibles to uh, Joel. I do want to explain a little bit, those of you who are here for... um, the weekend, last weekend, um, and just talk a little bit about what we experienced and kind of just uh, go from there. Um, I got a call <clears throat> from somebody, and they were like, they come to this church, and they were like, I ain't never seen anything like that before in my life on Friday night. And I was thinking to myself, that's odd, strange. Maybe even sad. Um, we're talking about <clears throat> uh, our, our church and where we come from. I, re- I remember when I, I, I started coming to this church in 1998, 98-99, um, and I, I was coming from Clinton, <clears throat> and I remember that uh, it was different from the church I had grown up in, the church I was going to. I know that I like certain aspects of it. I didn't know if I agreed with everything. And I was working through my own life as to what I was experiencing in this church. And what I was experiencing was, was really the life of the Spirit that I had not experienced in, in, to that degree in any other place that I had been up until that point in my life. So, uh, 20... So I'd probably been around 27 or 28 when I, I started coming here. Wow. <laughs> 71, 81, 91. Yep. Yeah. I was young and beautiful then. Anyway. So I remember <clears throat> coming here and experiencing some things. And, and man, you know, when I first got here, you guys tarried in worship. You know? We were like, it was like, we started at 10. And you know, a lot of times we, it was between 10.30 and 10.45 till we were done singing in worship. I don't know if some of you, I hate to say old timers, but, uh, but I'll say it, uh, remember those times. And um, we'd have, I remember Mike Wiersema would be over in this corner and he would dance before the Lord. Um, I remember seeing very exuberant worship that was going on that I had not seen before in, in a, you know, consistently, I remember when I was young and I went to a Nazarene camp one time and I saw kids at my age weeping before the altar and I had no idea what that was about. It was because uh, I never experienced that type of a move of God growing up. And so, uh, so I experienced it there. But here it was something that was kind of consistent and, and moving and, and um, you could see people really being touched by the power of, of God and by the love of God. And, and Chris would be teaching, you know, like he always did, if there were ever new people coming to the church, their first litmus test, okay, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And if you stay, now yeah, you're probably supposed to be here. And if you don't, bless you along the way. Wasn't an arrogant thing. It was just like if, if we had a, if people were leaving from different churches, that's a good time to let you know who we are right from the beginning because we're not hiding anything. You know, we believe in the power of the Spirit. We believe in the life of the Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts. 
um, of, of the Spirit. We believe in it all, and so you might see it operating, and so we're not going to pretend we're not something that we are and try and trick you to stay someplace that, you know what I'm saying? Where you, you, can't, you can't hide who you are. You don't want to. And so he started, he started talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, and I'm little Nazarene boy was like, here we go, right? But the thing about the, the Nazarene church is like way, way back before it split, <coughs> I, was a, I was a little yonker, but I do remember the church being full of about 200 people, that little sanctuary on uh, Main Avenue in Stockwell Lane in Clinton. I remember there were, there were about 200 people or so. That church was full, and they were singing hymns, and there would be people shouting hymn-wise and stuff. But, I, you know, so, so here's a freebie. It's, it's not the mode of worship. It's the heart of worship. And, and you can get knocked down by the power of God singing just as I am, just as much as you can singing something from Bethel or anything else, because it's not the mode of worship. It's the heart of worship and the desire to, to meet the Father in the midst of it. <clears throat> so if you, if you uh, grow up or, or, or go to a hymns church and stuff like that, it's not like you're missing out on anything. It's the heart and the desire to connect with the Father, and he honors that. So anyway, um, I remember, I probably told this story before, but it bears repeating. Uh, there was a, a lady, her name was Esther Blackaby, and Esther got saved out of prostitution. Um, I think it was in Virginia or something. She ended up getting married and they came back. And so when Esther would get blessed, we call it blessed, which, man, that, that just says that the Spirit hit her in the middle of victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, right? I'm getting a little happy singing that right now. It's bringing back some good memories to me. So Esther would sometimes, you know, you know when, when people are in one place in one accord, the Spirit begins, the temperature of the Spirit begins to raise. I don't know if you knew that. That's biblical, by the way. If you've ever read Acts chapter 2, um, they're all in one accord in one place. There's about 120 of them, and they're all praying the same thing, and the Spirit comes in. Okay, so when you're all in one accord, and you're all in one place, and you're praying, you should have an expectation that the Spirit of God is going to be amongst you. It may not do the same thing every time, but the Spirit of God is going to be here. The Spirit of God is going to be convicting people of sin. It's going to be establishing uh, calls on people's lives. It's going to be doing many different things throughout the room. Because we're not all maybe in the same place, but we're serving the same God, and we're all in the same spirit. And so the Spirit of God, what the Spirit of God may say to Naomi in that instance is going to be probably different than what the Spirit of God is saying in me. Not, not talking about direction, but about personally what the Spirit of God is expecting or wanting to do in my life. Make sense? Okay, so Esther would get blessed. And in her own West, West Virginia way... Esther, when she got blessed, she had no other way to express the insurmountable joy that was welling up in her life from what she was saved from. She would run the aisles. She'd get so blessed that she would run the aisles. And the only thing she could say in the, she wasn't, childish she became childlike in that moment and she would shout hooray for Jesus and she would run and she hooray for Jesus she'd also freak me out because she had false teeth and she could shoot them out anytime she wants. <laughs> that used to be I, sometimes I go Esther do it and she'd bring it right back in and out 
that, that was our thing, but they never fell out when she was running, I'm just going to tell you that. But she would run the aisles because she was filled with his presence and she was so thankful from what he had brought her out of and to what he was bringing her into. <coughs> Guys, that's, that's the inheritance of the church is to experience that insurmountable joy that wells up inside us for many different reasons. You, you may not have been saved out of prostitution, but you were still going to the same hell she was until you experienced the grace and love of Jesus Christ. You know, you, you may have been born in, into the church I, like I was. I, I call it born into the church. Mom and dad were going to church uh, one, two, three times a week by the time I was born. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And uh, so I was born into the rhythm of that. And so it was, it's nothing, when, when I came back to the Lord, I found it very discouraging and very hard not to find a church doing church on Sunday nights. I actually would have been at this church sooner in my, in my walk. But I was calling around looking who was doing a Sunday night service. Because, why? Because I needed all I could get. There are people that need all that they can get and sometimes we, come, we become so satisfied with less that when the opportunity presents itself for more, we're like, eh, Sunday morning's good enough. This, this is good enough. You know what? And it, it, as weird as that sounds, I got used, used to do, paying the sacrifice of time and wanting to do other things but by going to church three times a week. And we weren't very big. We had a split in the late 70s. <coughs> and because I, I don't believe we really understood about spiritual warfare and, and, and what really happens during a split, um, the church that split from us was doing some, not some good things. And so they started a church like right behind our house in 21st place. And so... Um, and then we were recovering from that. We had different pastors coming in. But what we didn't know and what we didn't understand and what we kind of lost was the joy that we had all experienced together when we were in one place and we were hungry for the things of God. And, and what began to happen, whether it was from somebody from the pulpit or from somebody in the uh, congregation, it really doesn't matter. The devil is just looking for anything he can do to break and stop the flow of the spirit that is desiring to work in the church that God has ordained to move through. And if he stops it in the church, it never gets out to the world. Because all you impart is what you experience. And when you experience a lifeless religion, you sit there wondering why nobody wants to listen to anything you have to say. Because there's no power and love and expression of joy in what you're saying. And sometimes what begins to happen is we become embarrassed to invite people to our church because there's nothing to offer them. Just words on a book that mean nothing without the life of the Spirit. And, and don't get me wrong, we, I'm not talking against the Bible. We need the Bible. It's, it's a powerful book. It is. But you can become throw, so enthralled with the Bible 
that you can miss out on what the Spirit is desiring to do through it. You can be so enthralled with the written word that you miss out on the living word. All this is, all this is, is explaining about who the living word really is. And that living word came to dwell inside of us. Do you hear those words? Because I grew up in the church and I heard them my whole life. And you know when you hear something for a long time, it kind of gets like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. You're like the Christmas and Easter, you come and you expect to hear a, a Christmas me- uh, message or Easter, you, you know, oh, he's risen from the grave. And if you're coming to church since you're knee high to the grasshopper, you're hearing that over and over again. And what begins to happen is you begin to lose the excitement of what that really means in the life of the believer. And we do, we get this been there, done that with the messages of, of Christmas and Easter or any other thing, we just, because, because we become like what we've judged of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Let that think, sink in. See, they came to a place where there was no life in the law because they weren't experiencing, that, 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 that was gonna lead them, Right? But there was no life in it. So they began to just do stuff because it was ritual. And so when it became hard, when when they became tired, is when they began to compromise. And when they began to compromise, they began to move down the road to absolute disobedience and then absolute rebellion. And that is the pattern in the lives of, not the world, believers. Compromising on, on, and not just what the word of God said, but experiencing the life and the power of what we say we believe in. And that, those are death nails in the coffin of our faith. And they're death nails in, in the coffin of, of, of the Holy Spirit anointing that is on all of us who are in Christ to go out and do what God has called us to do. And so then we begin reading the Bible. And we're like, well, I'm, I'm reading the Bible. I'm, I'm reading, I read the Bible daily. But what I'm not experiencing is the power. See, I'm not just reading the Bible for the Bible's sake. I'm reading the Bible with the purpose of drawing near to the heart of the Father. And when I draw near to the heart of the Father, do you know what he's going to call me? He's not going to call me stupid. He's not going to call me an idiot. He's not going to call me rejected. He's going to call me son. And if there's anything we need more than anything, if I can use anything twice in a sentence, I just did, so go with it, is I need to hear about what Leif was talking about, about my sonship and what that really means. Because listen, that's not something you just get. It's like, oh, I just pluck sonship off the apple tree and I got it. Right? No, no. That stuff has got to drip down from here into here. And then once it hits the heart, it's got to go out to the extremities. I have to be consumed with the idea of my sonship in him. Which is where the power of the gospel really comes from. You were not a child of God. You weren't. And then God did something, you received it. And now you are. You weren't born into sonship. You were adopted into sonship when you realized the sin in your life and what God was offering through Christ. See, there's, 
there's no other religion that offers you sonship or offers you to be a child of God. It's all about the struggle. It's all about either sin management, <clears throat> false doctrines, whatever. But, but the purpose of Jesus, and hear my heart on this, the purpose of Jesus was you weren't born in the garden like Adam was. But because of Jesus, the Father is drawing you into that same type of relationship pre-fall. Do you hear me? The Father, through Christ, it doesn't make any sense. The, the Bible doesn't make any sense. Us coming together doesn't make any sense. <coughs> the scriptures that talk about it don't make any sense unless we understand that the Father is desiring to have the same type of relationship with you that he had with Adam, which is why he dealt with your sin. See, from the Father's perspective, you're not what you were. Your sin has been taken care of, and so now he gets to come and dwell with you. In the Garden of Eden, he had to kick them out. They couldn't be in his presence any longer. As a matter of fact, Genesis tells us that, that, uh, that the, the Father is saying, now let's get them out of the garden lest they eat of the tree of life because they've already eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My, as I read that, I, I look at that and I say, him kicking them out of the garden was not so much about his judgment, but it was about his love. Because had they eaten from the tree of life in that condition, they would have lived under the sinfulness of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and been condemned forever. And he's like, there, there's gotta be a process here, get them out. If we're ever gonna save mankind, this is the way we've gotta do it. They've gotta go out for now. But at some point, and he says that in, the, in what we call the judgments, doesn't he? I'm gonna put war between your seed and her seed. I'm gonna put enmity between that. <clears throat> Why? Because in the midst of calling down judgment, there's a stream of mercy that's gonna redeem all of mankind. And when all of mankind gets, you know what I'm saying, when the opportunity of all of mankind comes to, to receive Jesus and then be saved, it's not, I'm not talking universalism. I'm just saying, when God has set this in place, this order in place that Jesus is here and everything in the Old Testament points to what's going to happen and Jesus is going to fulfill that, he's going to fulfill a lot of things, <clears throat> then what happens? Because the prophecy in Joel chapter two, which is where we're gonna sit, is Joel is giving this whole thing and he says, and after this time, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh. In some of your Bibles, it'll say all mankind or all humanity, but that's what it's talking about. He's going, I'm gonna pull out, my, pull out my spirit on all of it. <clears throat> Did he say he was going to pour out his spirit on all the church? He said he was going to pour out his spirit on all the flesh, didn't he? Find that interesting? That even the world can benefit from what God is pouring out even though they have not yet received? Because the part of the job of the spirit is to show who Jesus is to those who are lost and to bring them into redemption. And I can't do that without the power of the Spirit and the anointing of God upon my life. I can't do it. If I can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of something. This is why I don't have to go knocking on the doors repeatedly on the same person's house and say the same things. 
Why? Because when the seed comes out of my mouth, it's going to find a soil somewhere because it doesn't return to him void. Now, the condition of the soil may be different. I get that. But I'm, I'm throwing seeds. I'm little Johnny Appleseed throwing seeds from the heart of the Father through the Spirit of God into soil. And I'm praying to God that it's going to capture good soil. But I'm not doing that alone. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, you know, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, right? He's like, so you're not going to be the only one that's probably speaking into that person's life. You're going to maybe plant the seed, and somebody else along the way is going to come down, <coughs> is going to add their two cents of what the Holy Spirit is. It's going to be like water, and all of a sudden the soil is going to be right, and all of a sudden at some point the Spirit's going to cause that to grow, and that growth is salvation. been a long time since we experienced something it wasn't just the people lying on the floor and I'm going to talk about that in a minute it was what the spirit was doing in the middle of that night some people some people were falling out because the power of God was overwhelming them that was awesome some people were falling not because they were unconscious but because they were surrendering to whatever God wanted them to do and that was an outward expression for it Either way is okay. Either way is okay. Whether you're Todd White feeling like you're on fire in the middle of a conference because of what God is doing, or you're just like, I surrender, and you fall back. Does it really matter? Because God is doing something. What is causing you to want to surrender? The Spirit of God. And you rest in it. Either way, here's my Facebook text, thumbs up. <clears throat> it's good. Okay, so Joel's like, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Who? 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 Okay, let it get down deep. Sons and daughters. See, it's shocking here because here in, in, in the Old Testament, there's not a value for women. And there have been churches in the past that have said they were following the scriptures, but what they really were doing was holding on to a long-standing pattern of keeping the woman in the kitchen. Now, you may hear us, my wife and I joke, we joke like that all the time. And so if you hear us once in a while and you overhear us, you may think, oh, that's Steve, he's horrible. Uh, I think everybody who knows my wife knows she's not the typical, right? She's, she's exactly what I prayed for. Be careful what you pray for. Make sure you want it. I wanted it. I didn't understand everything that I was getting. Them 12 years we're figuring it out, but I'm like, I'm still saying thank you, God, for the answer to my prayer. Right? I didn't realize he was going to bring me a woman that was going to take horses who were not obedient and make them obedient, breaking them. She tried that with me. I'm telling you. It's, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't know that he was going to bring me a woman that, that climbed, has climbed mountains in, in, in the mountains with, like, ropes. Right? I didn't understand that. I didn't know that he was going to do that. I didn't know he was going to give me somebody that was so full of life that was so full of joy, even when she doesn't feel well. 
and stuff like that. So as, 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 I, as I was praying before and, and then you receive, it's like you can't almost comprehend the answer that God is going to give you. You pray for it and then you get it and you're like, wow. So we joke like that uh, uh, and stuff like that just because we know it's, it's not true. We, so we kid like that. So if you overhear us joking, it's joking. Because if it was ever true, she'd probably hit me with our iron skillets. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. But she also understands submission. And that's another thing that we miss on, on sometimes the backside of this. Sometimes we want to go after these things of God without being submitted to God, and that's very dangerous. It's like wanting to get married but not wanting to value anything that the spouse has to say. No, thank you. All right, so he's gonna pour out his spirit. He's gonna pour out his spirit on his daughters, uh, sons and daughters. Notice, he does not say on his creation. He also says on his sons and on his daughters, right? That is something that would not be real familiar in Old Testament understanding of God. Okay, so even here, there's hints of what's coming. And so I'm gonna pour out my spirit on my son, uh, on your sons and daughters, and they're gonna become his sons. And your old men will see dreams. Your young men will see visions. He will pour out my spirit, my male and my female slaves in those days. What is God saying? He's saying that the spirit that's going to come from him, which is the Holy Spirit, which is not necessarily something that they would totally understand, is going to make the playing ground level. There's not going to be a caste system. There's not going to be second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There is just those who have been touched by God, responded to God, and then placed at the foot of the cross. Just, it doesn't matter if you were, it doesn't matter if, you, if you've been a prostitute for 30 years and somebody has been in the church for 30 years but never accepted Christ. But you both come down to the altar. It's not like the, the church person is any better than the prostitute from God's perspective now from our perspective and our fleshly perspective it is because a lot more times whether we like to admit it or not we stand like the Pharisee that says thank you God that I don't have their past and the other ones beating on their chest saying God forgive me for I'm a sinner and we like to pretend we're that but in reality we're, we're standing over there and like wow they came to church I can't believe that what are we going to do? I've got kids. Do you know that? Per- what if my kids find out their past? What if you just told the kids the story of redemption? So they won't have to worry about failing later on. They'll just understand that, okay, I failed, but mom and dad told me about how good God is and how I can come back and he'll receive me again as a son or daughter. Stop worrying about what people have got themselves into because when they're seeking, they're looking for something. Give them redemption. Give them the life and the power of the Spirit. Don't be saying, pretending that you're something, but in reality, you're worrying and fretting about how you're gonna do with this because you've never settled that in your own heart. The Spirit has been poured out on you. This is not something we're waiting for anymore at all. It's happened. Joel said, this is what I'm going to do. The father through Joel, I'm going to pour out my spirit. 
And not only that, but your young men are going to see dreams or visions. And your old men are going to dream dreams. Male and female slaves in those days. It's like, I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth. <coughs> blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Before the great and awe-inspiring day of the Lord comes. See, there's a difference between the last days and the last day. Right? We are living in the last days. We haven't hit the last day yet. You're going you're to know when that happens. Because... If you weren't bending before Jesus in the last days, when you get to the last day, you're going to be bending then. Right? All right. So then we go to Acts, right? And this is, look. You know, I, I listen to other pastors. Uh, I'm not so proud to think that, um, that I can't be discipled by other people. And so some of the... Some of the pastors that I listen to, um, I've told you this one before, Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish guy in Ohio. Now, if we were to sit down and talk about theology, we'd have some differences, right? He may be more on the reform side. I may be more on the Wesleyan side of stuff. He may be this and that. But I'll tell you, I, I downloaded from his website this thing called the Pastor's Library that has um, like seven seven things that have like 10 messages in each thing and it's all about you know pastoral ministry and all these things and and so you say well Steve why why do you listen to somebody you disagree with because I what I disagree with is not something that breaks fellowship okay we both believe in Jesus we both believe that he's the only all these different kinds of things so I can sit there and listen to this Scottish guy talk and he made some things some things like I don't know if it really works that way but uh, that's just that's not that's not heresy stuff but you don't want to know what I get from him what I pick up more than anything from him is the humility of operating in what God has called you to do and I don't ever want to escape that so I'll listen to that little Scottish guy one I love his accent but two Two, I'm probably related to him because I'm Scottish. And, and three, uh, he teaches me to, of what it means to remain humble in what God has called for. Because sometimes as, as charismatics in the world today, what starts floating through our veins sometimes comes, looks more like pride than it does the spirit. And I don't want to ever get prideful with the things that God has for me. I want to remain humble. Because when I'm looking at Peter and stuff like here, uh, Peter, Peter was a prideful guy. If you look through the Gospels and you look at Peter, Peter was like, uh, Peter rebuked the Lord. You, you don't get any more prideful than that. That's, that's the devil's language. Let me get, let me tell Peter rebuked the Lord. Okay? Peter, the Lord said, now, you know, it was that whole... Who do men say that I am, right? And now I must go and, and <clears throat> to Jerusalem be offered up. And it's like, oh, n- n- forbid it, Lord, right? In the street version, oh, heck no, right? That's not the way it's going to happen, God. It, and it's, it's such a familiar conversation that Jesus actually calls him Satan. Right? So he's a prideful guy. 
And, and he rebukes the Lord, and the Lord rebukes him right back. He's also, his pride wasn't really quite dealt with because <clears throat> there's another issue. It, it's pride kind of mixed with desire, but there's a whole lot more pride with it because Jesus is saying, <clears throat> you know, people are going to forsake you. Lord, I'm going to follow you to death. I've, I've said those words. I, you know, it, I've had that in me as well, too. It's, Father, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yeah. You know, it's like, ooh. You think you're, you know, super Christian with the red cape. You're going to do all these great things for the Lord. And the Lord is saying, really? I've already done the great thing. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? All I need you to be is humble and pliable so that you're usable. Never mind. All right. So here in the book of Acts, the other person I listen to a lot is, um, is um, I listen to Tony Evans some. I do like him. Uh, phenomenal. And I was listening to him the other day after, um, actually it was Monday after the life thing. And I'm going to tell you something. It was absolutely crazy because you would have thought um, he was here with us with some of the things he was saying because he was using our terminology, which is actually biblical terminology. But sometimes people from a certain belief system, whether it's uh, cessationism, get a little winky about using some of the same terminology because sometimes because of what charismatics did wrong with it. But, and so he's speaking and he's talking about He's talking about being drunk in the spirit. And I'm like, what? Tony, come on, man. I'm like thinking to myself, that's not you. You can't use that language. You're going to get kicked out of your church, right? You've got to to say other things, Tony. You've got to clean it up a little bit. You've got to say, under the control of. You've got to say, but he's not. He's saying, why? Because this is what the Bible is saying. And I'm not saying him and I are going to agree on every certain thing. It don't matter. But he's using terminology that I'm understanding, and he's coming real close to how I would describe what is happening in the book of Acts. And I'm getting kind of excited about this. Because we're wanting to bring this terminology back into the church because it's in the Bible. And so when you have this going on in Acts chapter 2, and all right now people are going to think, oh, he's going to read this, and I don't like it, but this is what it says. When the day of Pentecost had fully arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, a violent, rushing wind. So, where else have you heard about this wind? You heard about it in Genesis. Your Bible says, in the cool of the day, another word, another description for that word in the Hebrew of cool is the wind. So in the book of Genesis, God would come and the trees would move because the wind. Do you know that when it's a hot day, aren't you happy for the breeze? Yeah. So here's God coming into Genesis in the garden to visit with mankind, and it's like this cool breeze coming into the garden. And here in Acts chapter 2, what you see happening is, 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 is it's exciting because it hasn't happened since the Garden of Eden. And all of a sudden what's going to happen is there's this wind. And, 
I'm telling you, from my perspective, the way I see this, I, I don't want to get too religious with it, but I look at this and I'm saying, this is God, the Father, so excited that he's coming back to the garden. He can now be in fellowship with his sons and daughters again because be of Jesus, the veil that represented the separation was torn and now there's nothing between the holiest of holies and us. And so I see this. God's like, okay, they're in one place. They're, you know, he's got something. I want you to be in one place. I want you to pray and then I'm gonna come. Which is why prayer meetings are so horrible in the church today. Because the enemy is working against that type of power. Which is why it's hard for you to get up and pray. Why? Because prayer connects you to the source of his power. And in prayer that is released and it changes stuff. So if you're having a hard time praying, you're facing some demonic attacks because of it. Or you've compromised or you're prideful. Either way, not good. People deal with it. Don't be religious with it. Be relational with it. Do you hear me? It doesn't have to be, Dear Heavenly Father. It doesn't have to be King James. I mean, if that's your thing, then go with it. If you experience, however you experience the heart, fine. But for most of us, it's, it's not going to be King James language. For me, it's like, man, God, what am I going to do about this? Because this feels heavy. It doesn't feel like you. See, my prayers are really more like conversations. Because I believe that's what, he, that's what he really wants. And so I may not spend four hours on the floor, but I'm constantly asking God stuff throughout the day. God, what are we going to do about this? God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in these situations? I, I just want to do what you want to do. I just want to do what you want to do. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's laboring in prayer. <clears throat> sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just having one big run-on sentence with God. Sometimes it's listening. But it's whatever it is, I want it to be relational. Because I know that he's going to speak to me. You know, I don't know how, I, I, this is just me, I don't know how people survive in a type of Christianity that says God doesn't speak anymore. Are you kidding me? And it's just like, hey, didn't you know that he came to uh, heal the deaf people? <laughs> that's not just physical. <laughs> that's spiritual. When you've come in through Christ and you go to the heart of the Father, how many have ever felt good when you came to talk to your dad about something and he shut the door on you? That's not what God did. When he ripped that veil, he opened the door. He wants to hear what you have to say, and he wants to, you to hear what he has to say. And he wants there to be agreement between you and him. All right. Let's get going here. All right, so listen to what he says. And so <clears throat> this violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire were divided and appeared on them and rested upon each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, they've already received the Holy Spirit, right? When Jesus came into the room, and they were like, he's alive, right? This is before he tells them to go and tarry until the Holy Spirit comes. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whew. He breathed on them, the Bible says. Receive the Holy Spirit. 
And then you go into the upper room and he says, wait there until you're endued with power. So obedience is key. Do what he tells you to do. Come together, pray, seek him, and wait. I, listen, this is not just something for charismatics. Billy Graham tells the story of, of he was doing young in ministry. Desire for God, but felt there was something missing. And he has what he calls an upper, well, not what he calls, but what I'd call an upper room experience where he's praying through. Nazarenes would call it praying through. You're gonna be saved and then you're gonna have this moment where you're gonna get sanctified. And sanctification uh, is, but anyway, never mind. But praying through. Now, you may not agree totally with the type of theology that's tagged on with praying through, but the reality of it is, is that what it's really meaning is, is you're going to stay close and you're going to stay hungry until God comes and does what he's supposed to do upon you so that you can go and do what you're called to do for him. And listen, it's just like Jacob wrestling with God. I'm not letting go until you do something. All night he's wrestling with God. God says, all right. You can walk with a limp. And this upper room prayer before he comes, it's, it's like that we're praying through. We're believing, God, you said, we want it. You're going to do it. Yes, God. And at some point, that wind comes into them, and they're endued with <coughs> power. And the only way the world knows how to describe it, man, these fools are drunk. You ever seen a drunk person? Hi. I love you, man. <laughs> Woo! They're under the control of something, aren't they? Why do you think alcohol is called spirits? Because there are spirits that are attached to that as well. Okay. You all understand that God came to dwell, right? He, he in, in, in the Gospels, he, he, to dwell among them and then to dwell in them, right? That the, <clears throat> the counterfeit to that is demonic possession. See, the devil himself wants to dwell and is looking for a house. And so he'll, to the unsaved, he'll, he can dwell fully. I'm not, I'm not, saying it's everybody, I'm not saying the demon, but you have to understand the principles. Uh, first of all, the word possession is not a great example of what he's saying. It's, it's demonized. And then there's the level of demonization. And then, so the devil is looking to habitate something. Jesus said that they're bodiless, right? When they're cast out and they go into waterless places or deserted places, and they're looking for what? To inhabit something. When he comes to them and they say, who are you? I am legion. Would you please just let us go to the pigs? Why? Because they, they want to inhabit something. And they're looking to dwell. It's the counterfeit of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that when the Spirit of God comes into you, that they can't have possession of what God has taken possession of. But in the sanctification process... Which the sanctification process is aligning my soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions, and my desires, and all those things. That's a battle in my life. 
That's a battle of surrender where I'm, I'm saying, God, I, I feel like I used to act this way. I want to act this way. But the Bible says not to act this way. Your spirit is convicting me of it. So I'm going to surrender to you and let you work through me in this place. And in that, in that battle, you know, Galatians 5.17 tells that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, right? And I love one of the, I think it's the Living Bible, where it says it this way. It's kind of a paraphrase, but he says, so he says that your wishes, and another verse that says your decisions are never free from that conflict. Are never free from, from who are you going to surrender to? So this is why people, we got a lot of people who love Jesus are filled in their spirit with the Holy Spirit, but they've got some demonization going on and oppression going on in their soul. Because there's areas of their life that they haven't surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And if it hasn't been surrendered to the Holy Spirit, it remains in a realm of darkness. And the devil dwells in darkness. That doesn't mean you're going to be turning your head around and spitting out pea soup. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the exorcist. But you're going to be under the influence of something else in that area of your life. Why, where do you think addictions come from? Where? Where? Where do, you, where, do you, where, do you think, where do you think depression, where do you think oppression, where do you think all that stuff comes from? I'm not saying that you're demon-possessed, but I'm saying that everything about sickness revolves back to the garden. And everything about Jesus is about victory over what happened in the garden and now walking back in restoration with the Father again. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it is totally possible. It depends on what you surrender to. Well, I like being angry. Go ahead. But you're going to be wondering why you don't have victory in areas of your life because of it. Because you have made a choice to surrender to anger instead of peace. So the things that happened to you in your life, Mrs. Clark from kindergarten, right? Told you that story. My kindergarten teacher used to yell at us, used to call us stupid, all that different kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, slap. What, get deposit, what gets deposited in a little five-year-old's heart and brain when they've been given over to an authority that tells them these things? They receive it because they don't know what else to do with it. And so you're stupid. You're, you're never going to accomplish anything, all this kind of stuff. So... I have been told that from authority and I have received that, yet there is something of the Spirit of God that's saying that's not true. And so now anger is coming in because I don't know who to believe. I really want to believe what something is saying over here, but this is so real in my physical realm and it's coming from a mouth that I can see. And sometimes it seems that God is so distant, he's so far away, but it's only because I've moved and he's saying things that are true and it's like, I want to believe that, but it doesn't, no, it, it's not true. I'm still stupid. I'm still dumb. I'm never going to amount to anything. None of these things are true. And so the flesh, the enemy is working overtime to get you to believe and, and come into agreement because there's a principle of agreement in the Bible that Jesus talks about. You agree on any certain thing, it should be done by my Father in heaven. For every principle, there's a counter principle. So the devil, the demons are looking for you to agree with them about what somebody else had said and it gives them power and access to dominate. 
Do you understand why Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil? He's not talking about the world. He's talking about what the devil has established in you. He's come to destroy that. Which is why you love, we love the gospel of John. Why? Because he said, if you abide in me and I in you, then you shall what? Oh, come on. You know the truth. And what does the truth do? It sets you free. But if you're not abiding in him, then you're not getting truth and you're not living in freedom. See, it's conditional. How many people who are not saved are running around saying, hey man, truth has set you free. But they're really more like Pilate. What is truth? <laughs> I don't know what truth is, but I know it's supposed to set you free. That doesn't do you any good. We're struggling with these things. And, you know, we sit there. This is why we sit there and we're like, God, thank you, I'm not like that person. But in reality, you really are. But for the grace of God. And so you're looking for, you're, you're, you're wanting God to have, you're wanting to surrender all of yourself to God for what purpose that you can experience total freedom from everything. Doesn't mean that you're never gonna have a bad thought. You just capture that out. Doesn't measure up to the truth and move it. Doesn't mean you're never gonna have problems. You're gonna have problems. Jesus was in a boat on a storm for crying out loud. Those disciples had problems. But this is what Jesus will do when you've surrendered, when you've given yourself over, when all of my belief system, everything about me here and everything about me here revolves around everything who he is and everything that he has said, especially over me. So that when the storms do come, the storms don't get to attach themselves to my identity. Which means you're no around saying like, oh, I deserve that storm. No. If there's a storm coming in your life, that's because God has deposited his holy peace to speak to the storm or to lead people out of it, not for you to be a victim of it. So, the only thing these guys can do <clears throat> is like, hey man, we're hearing everything in our own language. Listen, I, the, the fire that looks like a tongue above them I just think that's his presence. We associate the fire with a gift, and, and I get that. But the fire has always been about him. In the Old Testament, what does he come to? The fire comes, and what does it do? It consumes the sacrifice. The fat sacrifice is, is accepted, right? So we know Jesus is the sacrifice, but what they're up there in the, in the upper room doing is surrendering, becoming living sacrifices, as Roman tells us, and the fire of God comes back to the temple again. Although the temple is not going to be something that's built with hands. The temple is something of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it says, now that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when that fire comes in and lights upon this head, it's the presence of God returning to the temple. And now they're going to start, they're going to start speaking in other languages and everybody around there is going to hear in their own language and they're like man these guys might be listen forgive me but in my old life I was drunk a lot of times in the 90s I never spoke in another language that was understandable by other people 
But they have no understanding of what they're... Well, they, these guys must be drunk. Being drunk doesn't really explain while you're hearing somebody speaking a language that they couldn't possibly know, but you understand because it's your home language. I don't get this. But, he's, but they're speaking the things of God, and so Peter finds... They must be drunk, and so Peter stands up, right? He says, I must explain this to you. And he goes right to Joel, and it will be in the last days. The last days have started as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's like, in the last days, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And it's not going to be dependent on your social status. It's not going to be dependent on if you were a good little Christian or you were a good little church or synagogue boy. When God pours out his spirit, he pours it out generously, and he pours it out on everybody. It's going to take those guys a little bit while and a few arguments to understand that he's even including the Gentiles. And they thought they fully understood him. And he's getting all crazy and pouring out his spirit on Gentiles. Do not put God in your little box. Because not even the disciples who were with Jesus for three full years understood or could comprehend everything that he was saying. Do not put him in your box. Because he don't fit. I'm going to pour out. And you see, right? Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Male, female. And we have have females prophesying all over the place in the New Testament. Read it. We have a lot of things, a lot of things happening. And I want to give you something about tongues. And then we'll end it. So this is, in the New Testament, our first example of it. Language is going out and touching the hearts of people, right? Follow me to first. Hold on here. Get there real quick. Yeah, follow me to 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but above all that you may prophesy. Because that, that puts a little dent in the argument of certain theologicals that the only evidence of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Okay? If that were the case, then Paul would have said, hey, you gotta make sure you're speaking in tongues if you're gonna have the Holy Spirit. But he says, listen, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but above all that you may prophesy. <clears throat> listen to what he says. Because Paul's... Paul's going to blast some things here if we'll let him. For the person who speaks in another language or in tongues is not speaking to men, but to God. Okay, well, that's not what was going on in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, they weren't speaking to God. They were speaking to men because men were understanding in their own language. So what happened? Like anything else, the gift has expanded and Paul has recognized it. People get so messed up with this idea of tongues. Prayer language. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Because the gift changed here in, in 1 Corinthians 14 from what we experienced in Acts chapter 2. So much so that Paul's going to say, all right, listen, because nobody understands what you're saying. <laughs> So if everybody is going to be speaking in tongues all over the place, how is anybody going to understand what you're saying if somebody comes in? Well, wait a minute. If it's, if it's Acts chapter 2, they're going to understand, are they not? Because that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. 
But all of a sudden, something has changed here in the Bible. And I don't think it's changed. I think it's grown. I think, well, we, the other, the other night, the last Saturday night, we had someone speak in a corporate tongue. And we had someone give an interpretation for it. <clears throat> totally biblical. Totally according to what the Bible. So if you have an issue with that, the issue is not with us. The issue is what you have with what the word of God has described, how that gift is supposed to function when it works amongst the corporate body. However, comma, there is something that's happened in believers that the gift has expanded more than just a known language. It has grown into what people are experiencing and praying within themselves. And I hear people mock this a lot. I heard a major pastor mock this and, and joke about it. Let me just tell you, I, even if you don't, even if you come from a place where I don't know if that's true, don't you dare, dare mock it. Because he's joking around like, I don't know about this shit about a Honda, tough, blah, blah, blah. And he's mocking. I, I wanted to reach out and I want to say that did not go so well with the Pharisees when they were mocking the power of what Jesus was doing and said the spirit that he had on them was the devil. Don't mock. If you start mocking what you don't understand, <laughs> you are not useful. And you've actually set your thinking against what the Bible, what the Word of God says and the Spirit of God does. And people sit there and think, well, if he wants me to have it, I'll have it. No, you won't, because you're not going to receive it. When you set your hands like this, you're like, Remember that Robert Conrad? I dare you to knock this battery off my shoulder. Remember those commercials? That's how you set yourself up with God. I dare you. I'm going to dare you. You don't want it. You don't get it. You don't receive it. You don't get it. So there's something that's happened with this idea of tongues in the Bible, that it is both something that can be understood. We've had people in this pulpit testify, Fred Market, a lot of people that have testified that on the missions field, they had no idea what to do, so they began speaking in tongues, and whatever stand, country they were in, there was somebody at the water well that was looking at them and shaking their heads. And he's like, tell me what you said. And that, that guy began to lay down everything of, of, of the plan, of what came from their mouth that they didn't understand about what, what God wanted to do and what God wanted to plant. <clears throat> you have struggled with this? Read a book called They, they Shall Speak in Tongues. But you, you can't deny that what started out as touching man has now changed into, well, you're not speaking to man, you're speaking to God. So there's something about the gift that touches the inside of you that releases a prayer language to the Father. You don't have to have it. You don't have to have it. But I found it valuable especially in my weakest points when I don't know how to pray, as Paul would say, when I don't even know what to say, when I'm struggling and I, I can't find words, and I just begin to offer it up to the Lord because it's something that can change the atmosphere in you. And when the atmosphere gets changed in you, the atmosphere will start changing around you. And there are many gifts that can do that. That's just one of them. And so I'll end it with this. I want everything of God. 
I want all the gifts of God. I want to operate on half power. You ever had half power in your house? You know what it does? Destroys your refrigerator and all that other kinds of stuff. Half power is not good. Half power don't get it done. Full power does. I want the power of God, the character of God, the love of, I want it all flowing in me so that I can, I can accomplish what God has called me to do on this earth till I meet him. Amen? Stand with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for what you've done. <clears throat> done is past tense. Well, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing because it's going to continue. And Father, we're going to receive. And Lord, I pray that you would bring hearts into alignment with what you want to do. I pray that we'd lay our agendas down. I pray, Lord, that we would just pick up what you've called us to pick up and walk in what you've called us to walk in. Live as you've called us to live and experience the bond of covenant with one another and with you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife.aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.